Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. All right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas, and I've got a very special guest with me today. My guest today is Yomaz Axoe. Afternoon or evening, rather, Yomaz. How are you, man? I'm good, yes. Thanks for having me on board. Uh, how are you? Very well, thank you. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I mean, it's not every every week that I get a goalkeeping coach or someone with goalkeeping expertise on the show, and I think it's a great opportunity for, I guess, anyone listening to this to really get some insights of what that looks like and potentially how they can collaborate more effectively with goalkeepers or consider goalkeepers more effectively within their session. So, um, giving, a, giving a little bit away there, but maybe just give us a brief insight around who you are and what you do exactly. Yeah, well, firstly, thank you for having me on the uh, podcast. Yes, it's a great opportunity to, one, discuss football, but more importantly, as you say, delve into some of my experiences of goalkeeping and ways that we can uh, continue to keep supporting, I guess, the next generation of goalkeepers. But um, I'll take you back to my journey. So I, I'm i going to describe this in this way of an attempted goalkeeper. Um, so I, I had a crack at trying to be the best goalkeeper I can be. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be a, a scholar at Leighton Orient Football Club um, up until the age of 18. And then I picked up a misfortunate sort of knee uh, injury, wrist injury that, that kind of led me to kind of deciding what I was going to go down uh, next. So um, as I was sort of training and doing rehab back at the club, uh, I was offered a really good opportunity for my academy manager at the time, Andy Edwards, of uh, as you're coming in to sort of do rehab, why don't you do some coaching to kind of put some money in your pocket? Um, and at the time, I was quite keen to do it. 
because I didn't really know what more to do. Uh, and looking back now, that was sort of probably the turning point. So that one session a week, two session a week, led into three, four, five, six, before you realise it, you assist with the under-10s, you're taking the under-18s and uh, sort of taking the goalkeepers to assist with that. And and, and before you realise, uh, it turned into a full-time role. Um, and I enjoyed it a lot more, had a lot of passion around the game. Um, and what I realised was that I probably wasn't going to be able to fulfil my dream as a footballer in the ambitions that I had. But looking at it, uh, I felt that I could probably fulfill my ambitions as a coach and play a coach at a higher level than what I presumed I could have played at so that was the start of the journey really um, and, and like I say a bit of misfortune at the time with injuries led to a great opportunity to kind of doing what I do now uh, down the coaching field 10 years down the line. Let's just build it because there's a lot in there um, a lot in there so first of all you talked about being a young player being a, a I guess you know a scholar at the time When you first obviously got invited to do some coaching elements, how soon was it? Obviously, I know that a part of the scholars, most scholars now, obviously, they have yeah, yeah. level twos and get you know some insight around the coaching aspects. I want, I want to take you back to that to start with. At that point, when you started exploring the coaching qualification, things like that, did that, did that ever really spark any interest or any thoughts for you around, you know, maybe I could get into this? Yeah, to be honest, probably not. Um, looking back now, I probably did it for the sake of it's part of the course and I've got to get the qualification. So I'll do it because it's part and parcel of what needs to be done. Um, I was I was quite academic. So when I did my scholarship, I actually went back to my sixth form to do two A-levels, one in maths and one in economics. So I was I was quite driven in trying to kind of have that plan. That if football didn't work out, always have a fallback plan with it. And um, probably looking back now, I was probably a bit more academic focused on actually recognising how a coaching qualification could, one, open me up another door in an avenue of work, but also, more importantly, I think, broaden my knowledge and understanding to go, how can this help me as a player? Um, so I probably didn't see it in that sense, but now I guess further down the coaching journey, I look back and go, those were the moments that probably broadened my experiences to, to, to kind of take that knowledge, apply it, and more importantly, all of the experiences that I had as a footballer to relay to the players that I work with day in, day out now. So let's talk about that. You said it didn't really have a massive influence in terms of you getting into coaching in the first place. Yeah. Eventually you were thrown in that deep end in that situation yeah you know, make some extra money you know pocket money beyond the scholarship which is not that much money at the time no exactly but, um what does that look like for you how how was that experience was that daunting to start with was it not what were some of the key things that you yeah to, 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 to be honest it was so like uh, my first coaching experience as such at that was was an after school club in a in a primary school looking after sort of 20 year ones that you know you're having to run a football club and you kind of go as an assistant to a coach that's kind of also working at the academy um and from there on you kind of know right I get this year one sort of footballing session done and then I've got to get across to the academy because you know I'm going to assist with the nines and tens doing the indoor futsal or out on the astro with the tens and elevens or elevens and twelves uh, putting out some bibs and cones and basically assisting the coach because the groups are slightly bigger to keep the player ratios down so I look back then and, and at the time it was daunting because you know you're 18 19 years of age not really got experience you've got kids that uh need assistance with everything can you tie my shoelaces uh, i can't find my shirt uh, my mum hasn't packed my shorts 
Um, you know, you've got 45 minutes of a footballing session, but you know they're going to take probably 20, 25 minutes of that getting changed in the changing rooms. So when they get out into the pitch, how do you make sure, you know, your session's set up? Or if it's not, how do you be creative that you've got a very small, short window of time? So you want to make sure that they are bouncing off the walls, they're energetic, they they have the best 25 minutes of their week so far. So you know that the next week they're going to come back with the same energy, the enthusiasm. Um, so I look back and, and, and those, those were probably the, the key foundation and the fundamentals really for me as a coach to go, what do I really value? How do I really roll up my sleeves and get stuck into this and embrace this? Because further down the line, when you've got the luxuries of working with uh, what people may refer to as elite players or players that are further advanced in their development, um, you know, you really appreciate some of the key concepts that you take for granted uh, because these players bring it um, and you as a coach might be kind of having that as a base skill set of organisation, progression, planning, preparation and then more importantly that kind of having that learning concept to it but for me it was just an opportunity to have to, to, to play around with it, make mistakes because you know they, those kids knew no different as long as they were playing football, as long as they were their friends, as long as they had fun. Um, that was all that was interesting for them. Um, so it taught me a lot. It, it was it was really important and eye-opening, really, when you look back at, at the journey in the start. Definitely. And obviously, again, there's a, there's a lot in what you said there, and I'm still thinking about the first bit that you said. I'm still <laughs> but something really key that you mentioned there is about, you know, over, overlooking and maybe, you know, maybe, un, maybe underappreciating some of the um, qualities that players on the quote-unquote elite end of the game bring that maybe yeah. take for granted. So... You know, we spoke just before we jumped on this around some of the benefits and challenges that the grassroots environments can still give you when you're when you're when you're not you're, when you're not maybe in that environment on a regular basis anymore. What are some of those things that people can take for granted? Oh, just uh, a great question. Um, I mean, just we can just talk about you know things for granted in the grassroots environment might just be you know, having consistent players. So, you know, you might plan for 12 players and you think you're getting 12 and then all of a sudden at grassroots level, three parents forget to communicate with you because of the nature of the, their, their life that, you know, they're not coming to training tonight or you're planning, you know, your match preparation for, or sorry, like preparing for the game on the Sunday and you go, right, that's your nine-a-side team set up and all of a sudden people start dropping out and, you know, it happens everywhere. But in, in a grassroots concept, I think it's, I think it's it's probably more the the basic skill set that the players would 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 bring. Um, you know, some grassroots clubs, players might be there just solely because it's the team environment and they want to be there with their peers and their friends. Um, one might be really talented, and then on the other side, you've got another individual that isn't so talented. And how do you bring that? Their, their level of learning to the same sort of bridge as such um, whereas I think if you're in an elite environment uh, or you're in an advanced environment with, with players of a higher uh, capability in, in certain skill sets I think you know you can you, you can stretch them a bit further with the way that you can create and plan sessions and design sessions but I think the biggest challenge for me when it comes to grassroots is how do you differentiate what you're trying to do and you know we were on the course talking about uh, that more from a coach coach development perspective but people are at different stages um, when you want to make it a fun opening environment for everybody to be a part of that can be a big challenge well you know i think, I think some great points in there certainly the, certainly the one around essentially the motivation of the players themselves some of them it is just about being around their friends they don't really care about developing and you know really um yeah you know 
progressing their careers and journeys as footballers in that respect. But, they, you know, they just want to have the social aspect of things. So, you know, I know, I know there's going to be a lot of coaches that I've spoken to in the past. There's other people that might be listening to this now thinking, right, well, how, how do I manage that difference? How do I balance that? Because obviously, you know, like you said, we, you know, we can take it for granted if we're working in the quote-unquote elite environments that everyone there is pretty much, you know, for the same goal. They're all on different yeah. journeys too, but they're, they're there for, for, for a collective goal, at least based on their individual wants. Washington's environment is not the case. So how do you, you know, how do you manage the difference between those players at different levels? And what are some of the things that maybe, if you like, coaches who don't typically work with goalkeepers, maybe just start to consider in terms of what that might look like from a goalkeeping perspective? Uh, again, that's a really, really good question. Um, I think, I think the the first thing would be to have a conscious effort of how you integrate them. I think that's a brilliant starting point for everybody. Um, goalkeepers in particular, grassroots are always, in my experience is considered last in the sense that if it's a practice design and it's, oh yeah, I've got a goalkeeper, or if it's a, uh, a practice that they're doing, oh, can I include a goalkeeper? Like, whereas for me, I just say, if you have a conscious effort of everything that you do, how can I make this realistic? How can I make it relevant? How can I give the goalkeeper repetition that might look similar to what it might look like in their game um, will be a really, really good point. So one example might be if you're going to play a big possession with uh, your team because you that's your method of coaching, you're really big into possession-based uh, playing and coaching. Just think about how you can make the goalkeeper included in that, but with a relevance. So that might be where if it's a transitional game playing from direction to direction, it might be having a goalkeeper at one end that includes them starting but with relevant pictures for them with distances uh, it might be if you are doing a shooting practice uh, how do you put the distances relevant to the goalkeeper so when you're getting shots they're not from three yards out where it's a combination practice and before you realize it the shot comes from three yards and it's repetitive shot after shot shot after shot um, and and if you have that conscious lens I think all of a sudden you'll start to ask yourself really thoughtful, thought-provoking questions that will then help you to challenge more around, well, how can I make this practice more relevant for this person? Uh, and then I think for those that are comfortable with that to take it even further, you then make it bespoke about the individual. So if it's the individual that needs to practice on uh, particular types of strikes because they're really good in possession, but every time they look to try and play maybe into the midfield player or through the opposition into the midfield player, uh, uh, beyond the press, uh, we seem to be losing possession of the ball on a Sunday. So you might then go, right, well, OK, we're going to do a possession box, but when the area they're in, um, I'm going to challenge them and reward them for certain ways in which they can build. But what I might do is to increase the pressure on them to make it relevant to the game. I'm going to allow the number nine to be able to go and press him once he's taken his first touch. So I think depending on the level of the coach and the challenge of the coach and the challenges of what the coach faces within their team, um, there's some recommendations in there to hopefully get people to think and consider how the goalkeeper can be integrated effectively within hopefully their same structure design without changing it. 100%. And I think what one of the key things you've talked about there is trying to uh, uh, eradicate that whole situation where the goalkeeper can't be part of the sessions. Yeah. Right. Which is a big challenge for a lot of coaches because I think a lot of coaches in their minds that, you know, especially with those that maybe haven't got the confidence or, or any real understanding or knowledge of what to do with the goalkeeper, it's almost like, well, I don't know what to do with him, so I'm just going to give him some basic instructions. Like, you just make sure you're talking to your back line or whatever that looks like, which is that basic. So, well, yeah, but he's still a footballer. Yeah. Or she, 
still a footballer, so how do we support them? What's the information we're going to give them? Why should that be any different to what you what you're going to do? In fact, you know, from my own experiences, I know that going through to work it working with goalkeepers and really paying attention to like the, the detail and, and and the individual like kind of the mechanics of of their movements and their how they how they perform. That actually that transformed my coaching when I'm working Valfield players. Yeah. So you know, just to kind of build on that. What would your what would your advice be? What would, you know, if you, maybe what would your perspective on being a young coach, starting to work with goalkeepers? How was it then for you working with goalkeepers, and how integrated it was with the rest of the squad in comparison to where it is now? Uh, again, I think uh, I think that's a great question because uh, I've probably been uh, fortunate enough to see the change. I think, um, and the reason why I say that is when I when I played. Uh, goalkeeping was uh, goalkeeping coaching was a uh, coaching sort of methodology as such that was quite common was the goalkeeper goes and does their specialist individual coaching and then they'll integrate when I need them uh, when I started my coaching journey I was probably still in that phase so that's how I knew it and that's how I started and that's how I coached uh, we had a time allocated and I went off I did my individual bits with the goalkeepers and then when the time was done they went straight into their teams and I observed and watched and probably didn't do much more from there. Whereas I look at now, I probably work the opposite end and go, what does the team need? What does the individual need? And then how do I work backwards in the sense of, well, you know, the team might need them uh, in 20 minutes time because we're going to work together in a unit. Right. Brilliant. So I've got 20 minutes. Do I need more than 20 minutes? Because that's what the individual needs for, for that moment, a period of time. Uh, to be able to get some individual specific work that might be relevant to their game or what they're going to go into with the team. Um, and then you work on that methodology of kind of really making it bespoke. But I think I think where coaching now has come when you look at goalkeeping coaches is I'm a goalkeeping coach in specialism, but I'm a coach. So when I go across with a team, I have a special lens on the goalkeeper. But when we work together in a sort of co-coaching environment, it's what does the team need? What's my role within that? How do I coach the goalkeepers within that? How do I influence the coaches around it? But more importantly, when I'm away from it, how have I influenced the coaches so that the messages are still similar and the coaches are starting to see the lens in which we would see it within the goalkeeping uh, goalkeeping lenses, goalkeeping coaches as such. Um, and I think once you can impact people and empower people in that manner, um, they start to see it in that way. Um, and vice versa from my side. When I work with coaches, I want to know what the players want to know. So if the coach isn't there or I'm trying to give the goalkeeper in a bit of information, I might give it to the defender to be able to support the goalkeeper so they've got a really good, stronger relationship. But you get the buy-in because the defender doesn't see you as a goalkeeping coach. The defender sees you just as another member of staff of the coaching team, um, which then just makes it even more impactful and powerful in your coaching messages and, and messages to be able to sink into the players. Definitely, and just kind of just to build on that, then um, obviously, like I said, a huge consideration here for us is obviously there's going to be a lot of coaches out there working with working teams or where they maybe don't have access to a goalkeeping coach. What are some of the immediate things those coaches can start to consider, even on a very basic level, just to try and support the goalkeepers in the first place, without really having the depth of knowledge or around the, the, the massive bits of technical information? Is there any guidance that you think that you can you know you can offer them and say, right, well is a good place to start even just around challenging and developing perceptions so let me just start let, let me get this question right so what you're saying is what can i what advice can i give a grassroots or young coach around the way of basically just supporting if they had fallen off mars onto the land and let, let, me, give, let me give you a scenario right um 
I'm supporting a goal, uh, sort of supporting a coach at the moment. Um, and the, I was recently speaking to his coach about a situation. He's got he's got a goalkeeper in his squad. Um, basically, it's no good for them. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Um, and it, it's getting to a point where that goalkeeper is actually now causing problems amongst the morale of the rest of the group because it's almost like well, we're we're putting in a work. One mistake from you kills everything because once you make one mistake, you make a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth, and you're out of the game basically. So I said, you know, having the conversation with the with the coach, I'm saying, oh, so what, you know, what are you doing to support that? And he said, well, I'm just gonna let her know that people make mistakes and it's okay, but I'm saying, is it really? making excuses for them is that actually going to support that player by telling them that it's it's okay because everyone makes mistakes or is that going to allow them to feel comfortable that the mistakes that they're currently making are absolutely fine there's nothing to change there so you know i'm I'm really was just challenging not so much the intent behind the communication yeah but the message that might actually be understood from it I, 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 I'm going to agree and I'm going to disagree. And the only reason I say that is I think there's there's a lot more probably to context um, that depending on your scenario, your situation, your environment, um, that there's there's a lot more that can be considered. Um, I think it's important to, if you're in a grassroots environment and that's the case, if your priority is to become successful as a team uh, and the goalkeeper is the part that's letting you down, then uh, I think you have to have the conscious idea in your mind and how do I support that that, that goalkeeper in uh, managing their expectations, maybe making better decisions that can manage the impact that that's having on the team. So if that is, you know, this goalkeeper can't distribute and every time they get the ball, um, they go to clear it and it just seems to be falling straight to the number nine's feet and he's scoring goals. So every time we play a back pass, basically it's resulting in a goal. Now, my responsibility or my advice to that coach would be well, how do you minimise the opportunities that the goalkeepers having in possession touches in a game to be able to manage their confidence? So, you know, you might tell centre-backs and you might set them challenges and constraints around, well, once you receive the ball, we want you to play forward. You can only play backwards if you receive it to be able to play within one touch. Now, that hopefully gives the goalkeeper more time because the ball's come back quicker. And then your challenge to the goalkeeper will be how do you simplify the game? If it comes back, you play in two touches. Otherwise, if you get it out your feet, can we clear it? out wider areas where you simplify the game for the goalie now coming back to it from a psych perspective for that for that goalie I, I think depending on their age and their stage is it ever right to say to a goalkeeper look you know um, everything's going to be fine carry on now if that's a nine-year-old my advice would be yeah you don't want to put, put the fire out of the candle that early but if it's a 15 or 16 or 17 year old that thinks that they're going to get the ambition of playing into the professional part of the game and they've got uh a, a misunderstanding of where they're at then then I think there needs to be a clearer clearer conversation in um, in in the impact that that's having on the team and I think when you're going through development football uh, in particular in grassroots at youth development ages there becomes a bigger social uh, impact of well you're the person letting us down you're the person that's you know preventing us from winning games fully get you <laughs> I get and I, and, I, and, I, and I get where you're coming from. I agree. If it was, you know, if it's a young, a young as a, a nine-year-old, then yeah, you don't want to kind of uh, do anything that might discourage them necessarily. But I think, um, especially as you start to, you know, go through the ages and stages, there needs to be a bit more honesty 
Yeah, I agree. Around where they're at, and I'm not. I, I, the only thing I would question around what you said and challenges. I don't know necessarily whether that's actually directly applicable just to those players who want to go and make it pro. No, no, I agree. I agree. Yeah, so I, th- I think it's probably like, well, I, I can't keep sugarcoating it for you. Yeah. I've got to tell you as it is, and uh, you know that can be packaged however the coach or however the individual wants it to be packaged. But as long as the message lands is the main thing. Um, but now obviously some of what you said in there, especially in the first bit, was much more around some of the tech and tech stuff, right? Mm. But again, if I go back to the initial question, there's going to be a lot of coaches out there that don't necessarily have that tech and tech stuff, or at least they don't feel confident in the tech and tech stuff related to the goalkeeper position. What are some of the basic things that you might say? Yeah, so the, the, coming back to an initial question, this is this is where, when for me, I think when you start talking football, you take it everywhere and, and you, you can talk football for hours. But the, the basic bit of advice I would say is the fundamentals, and, and I think everybody as much as you can, you know, you don't you don't need to be the best glued up goalie coach to know every technique in the book because technique is just a perception of what we perceive it to be. You know, my W technique will be different to your W technique, but the principles of it probably won't differ. You get your hands behind the ball, you keep your body behind the ball, and you try and secure it. Um, how you do it will do it differently. Um, so I guess the advice I would say to the coaches is. If it's a goalkeeping defending the goal action, um, think about the way that which they use their body to get their body in line with the ball and use their hands to be able to try and catch the ball. I think that's two key fundamentals, um, no matter the age and stage. If you can teach those fundamental basics, anyone can coach that. Um, how can you secure and catch the ball? How can you move uh, your feet quickly enough to make sure that you've got your hand and your body behind the ball to secure it? And then I think, like I, like you said earlier, for me, when the goalkeeper has possession of the ball, they're no different to any other player on the football pitch. Um, pictures are similar. You want to play forward. You want to play with quality. You want to be creative to find space on the pitch to receive the ball and find somebody in space to give the ball. Um, so for me, that part of the game doesn't change. It's the out of possession elements that might be a bit more tech-tack heavy, but keep it simple. Just try and catch what you can by being in the right position to give yourself the best chance of keeping your body and your hands behind it. And I think the rest of it will take care of itself from there as your goalkeeper develops even more confidence and gets really good at that. Awesome, awesome. Let's, let's go back to yourself, Dan. So, you know, you've, t- you've taken that journey into coaching. Um, you started coaching the year one kids after school clubs and you've gone to the academy with the nines and tens. Um, talk to us about what happens from there for you because obviously now at this point you're, you know, you're still a scholar, you kind of... Uh, getting to that point where you're thinking well maybe I'm not actually going to end up becoming a player so when did it become in, in your set in your mind that your coaching is the route I'm going yeah to so so to be honest it was in the end of my scholarship so I did my scholarship didn't get offered a professional contract I tried to go abroad to trial at a few places where I did my knee and then my wrist so when I came back in that pre-season uh, I was training playing non-league um, that's when I then started to take up the coaching commitment and then probably in the next 18 or 12 to 18 months at that point obviously the the responsibilities grew at Leighton Orient at the time um, I then got offered the opportunity to join full-time uh, but the way the full-time role was going to work was that I was going to work in a post-16 program in the day um, and then in the evening it was going to be in the academy and it was going to be sort of two joint roles to justify a full-time role so I was quite quite blessed at the time really that um, I was working in the day with 16 17 year old college students that wanted to pursue a football opportunities post their education 
um, and then in the evening I was working with younger players. So without really realizing it, I was I was working across the spectrum of having eights and nines, sixteen, seventeens, and then everything in between. Um, so I did that for about two years, uh, which was really good because, like I said, I had individuals with different challenges. I had different environments because we were in a, a college post sixteen. Some kids will turn up to training every session. Some kids wouldn't, and you're chasing them around. Uh, on the flip side, you know you're dealing with an under nine that is transitioning into more of a structured environment, coming from their grassroots. How do you continue to make sure you build on their fundamentals within what they've already been kind of come with? Um, so, so that was really, really good. And then. That was through the year clubs, the Leighton Orient had a bit of a transition. Um, so obviously when I first joined that year was when we'd gone to try and get promotion and missed narrowly out. Club had got a new ownership, Barry Earn had moved on. Uh, we had new Italian ownership, which was then kind of kicking on. So a lot of the people that I really enjoyed, thoroughly enjoyed working with and learned a lot from had moved on. So the environment was different and it got to a stage where, right, I've been here five years, two years as a coach, three years as a, uh, sorry, two years as a player, two and a half years as a coach. Where's your next challenge? And like I said to you earlier, I was always interested in academics. Um, I was always interested in football because that's all I knew. And I was probably at that crossroads of what do I want to do? Um, and I took a quite an interesting, bold decision at the time. And, and looking back, it, it probably gave me the stepping stone to really be clear in football is what I wanted to do so had an opportunity come up on a part-time capacity at Fulham uh, but I was leaving a full-time job to go and take a two nights a week commitment at Cat One Academy but what also kind of coincided with that was I had an opportunity to go as an ahead of football at an independent school so I was like right okay I'm ready to take that work-life balance but take the step in your professional environment in your football to a Premier League Cat One Academy and also step into uh, academics as such of, of, of a learning environment of a school. So um, I did that for 18 months, which was brilliant. Head of football at independent school in Essex. Um, grew the football programme, really enjoyed part-time goalkeeping coaching in the Cat One Academy, working with some top talented goalkeepers, which are now sort of uh, in and around either Fulham's first team or playing in the Football League. Um, and then that kind of opened more doors really um, was fortunate enough from from Fulham to get an opportunity at the FA uh, to then go full-time with that role uh, across the men's sort of pathway development teams doing uh, the under 15s and 16s uh, along with doing some coach education and then obviously along came Covid uh, some of the challenges that that brought to every organization within sport but in particular the transitions that the FA went through um, you know, I, I then moved away from that with a great opportunity that came up uh, at Charlton. So it's it's been that kind of journey, really, uh, of experimenting um, where I wanted to go. But I've always followed more what I've enjoyed. And that's kind of always led me to football, really, um, and, and, and trying to do football in different environments. So, yeah, so I hope that's given you a bit. Time, obviously, you've gone from Leighton Orient, moved across into, the, uh, into uh, Fulham. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I understand because I, I had a similar experience with you know with, with my journey in, in that I went from a full-time role to a part-time role but I didn't necessarily see it as a step down because I saw it as a progression in terms of the environment I was going to be working in um, so I, I, can, I can fully relate to that and I think it's, it's an interesting because a lot of coaches wouldn't do that 
a lot of coaches will go through, go in and go in a situation like thinking, well, I can't go from full time to part time. Obviously, there's financial constraints that they need to consider. But what was it? You, there was something interesting that you said, and what you said specifically was, where was my next challenge going to be? But what I was more con- conscious of wanting to find out is, did you know what the challenge was going to be before you decided where it was going to be? Yeah, really good question. Again, yes. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't say I knew what the challenge uh, was going to be, um, but what I did know was that I needed to surround myself with uh, a new environment and people that I felt I was going to learn from. And that probably for me has always been my catalyst to, um, I guess, my next working environment, if it's in the working context. So, like I said to you, I really enjoyed my time at Leighton Orient. And when I look back at my real coaching foundations, um, that was kind of stemmed from the people I work with. So when I look at people like uh, Richard Thomas, which is now the assistant manager at Colchester United, he was our academy manager at the time, uh, but he was quite he was quite sort of forward thinking. Uh, he was quite clear on what the coaching philosophy looked like, uh, the way that we should coach as coaches. And at the time, um, we would probably have felt that it was quite... Uh, strict and black and white but I look back that's because that's taught me the fundamentals and foundations of what I believe as a coach um, and I now look at my journey once that had moved on from Leighton Orient and I felt that right I need to go to a new environment to broaden my experiences to kind of really challenge to go is that what I believe in or is that just because that's my environment that I've been in and then when I went to Fulham it was like right I bring my own identity but I get molded in that because of the good quality coaching that is already in place at Fulham and you pick up really good ideas, you question and check and challenge around what you really believe in, you check and challenge others around how they can do things even better in your opinion. And I think you you remold yourself. And then, you know, I look back at the next opportunity that came after that, um, you know, being fortunate enough to work with people like Tim Dittmer, uh, Martin Thomas, Eric Still, then takes you to uh, another level because your beliefs you feel are strong and then you go into rooms and goalkeeping conversations with people like that, uh, or you're in the room with coaches that have got so many more years of experience of knowing what the top players look like at all different ages and stages. Um, it just then makes you think, well, that's why I want to be where I am, because I want to learn off people like this. Um, and then, you know, you take that to the next stage, which then led obviously to the role at Charlton is, well, I've got all of these experiences that I believe I perceived from my learning. But what does my coaching really look like now? How do I how do I take the seven, eight, nine years worth of journey of learning to go right? How do I put all of that learning into a program that then helps me become the Eric Stills, the Martin Thomases, the Tim Dittmers of kind of for the next generation of coaches to go? That's how I can help you because they've been of help to me. So I guess that's that's the journey and that's the catalyst for me. You know, um, yeah, there's a couple of key things in which what you in what you've just said, and I think first of all is recognizing that. You know, at, at some point we have to then check ourselves to make sure we never fall into the comfort zone. Yeah. Right, that comfort zone of, yeah, my situation is kind of comfortable. I'm happy. You know, I'm getting, I'm getting what I need. I'm getting what I need in terms of finances. I'm getting working full time. I'm in, a, I'm in a particular level of an environment. If you like, you got to be asking yourself, is it really pushing me? Mm. Is it really challenging me? And if it's not, as good it is. As, as nice as it is to have comfort, are you just, you know, are you just procrastinating and stagnating the way you are rather than thinking about how you can get better at what you 
So I think that's that's the first piece to kind of really touch on. But another really key thing that you mentioned, obviously, was about the fact that you recognised that one of the one of the things that you did need around you was maybe more people with big with with uh, with uh, maybe more substantial experiences, so that you could really start to delve delve deeper into challenging your own beliefs and your own ways of working in, in alignment with maybe what they're doing. Not just to say that you're going to try and follow suit, but actually you're going to go compare and contrast and start to develop a rationale as to which way you're going to go with it. Yeah. Um, which is obviously another, another aspect of it. But what, one of the other key things that came out from what you said, and it just reminded me of a conversation I had with someone recently, was you went to Charlton, and one of the things you wanted to figure out is whether, whether the way that you do things was, was the right way of doing things, or you had your own way at that point. Question I had from a coach recently that I was working with is, how do I know if the information I'm given is right? Now I've got an opinion on that. What's yours? That's a great question. <laughs> it is a great question. Uh, how do you know uh, the information you're given is right? Um, I, I think you only know based on your experiences. You only know what you know. Um, so. If you believe it and perceive it to be right, you lean on your experiences to the rationale and the reason why. I think if you're able to justify that to the person and it makes sense, then for that person it's right. If the person can challenge it and give you enough of rationale why it isn't, then that should give you an opportunity to reflect and go go why. But again, it's a really tough question, so I, I'm going to probably bat that back to you and ask you what, what was your response. I'll give you I'll give you my thoughts in a second. But I'm going to unpack what you said even further. Um, I want to look at what you said there and say that a large amount of that is about you know if you're like in some ways having having a friendly debate with someone else around the thought and the idea of it, right? But what if and this is this is the reality for maybe a lot of coaches listening to this right now. They don't have that other person to speak to. They don't have someone else who they can bounce off within their environment. Um, and if they do, they ain't really gonna get much insight because they're the goalkeeping coach, and they're not. They're, they're not, you know, stereotypically, they're not as respected as the maybe the outfield coach. They yeah. just work with the goalkeepers. Go do your thing over there. Um, or additionally, if they are trying to have those conversations, the person they're working alongside probably doesn't really have the the. In a lot of cases, maybe the the the, the knowledge or the experience to maybe challenge and question it in a way where it's actually going to critique what's been said. And challenge what's been said, but it's more going to affirm what's been said in terms of, oh yeah, I like the sound of that. So I, I agree. What are your thoughts on that, though? Yeah, it, it, it's true. So I guess, and 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 that will. I'm just going to bring it back to my point in in the reason why I felt there was opportunities for me to move because if you don't have that environment, I think I think you've got to reflect and think to yourself, well, how do I create that environment? Because you then, like you say, get into a comfort zone. You don't develop. You don't challenge yourself. Um, and I've always been in environments where people have, people have always given me critical feedback and I've always tried to give people critical feedback back because if I'm giving you critical feedback, I'm watching you in a lens that's hopefully helping me get better too. Um, so I guess, yeah, it's, it's, I kind of forgot the first question and where we've gone because we've, we've kind of gone off tangents with it. Yeah, but, it's just more, you know, if, if, how do I know if what I'm coaching is right? Yeah, it, it, 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. It's, it's, if you're on your own, you, you've got to reflect on it on your own and ask yourself critical questions to say if it is. I think if you've got people around you, you've always got to empower them to go, how do I know it's right? Um, and, and, and to even get, get better at it. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a great thoughtful question. And I'd be curious to those listening yeah. in to, yeah. to kind of give me their opinion, really, because I think that's a, that's a great question to, to so, so can we back to what you said, in fact, was, um, you know, I agree in, part, in partial element of what you said in that. You have to develop a rationale for it and have a justification for it, which can hold seek, can hold um, scrutiny, if you like. Um, but ultimately, it's a guide and it's, it's, it's a trial and error process. It is. One of the key things which you said, you know, you said you, you already know what you know. I like to use the phrase where you you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Um, so the analogy I, I, I like to use sometimes is well, you've got to look at everything as as if it's in 4K. How many pixels are there? Yeah. Well, there's 4,000 of them. Don't just look at one thing and say this works. Look at what's working by identifying every individual. So you've got a 4K TV in there, but I want you to look at every pixel possible. And if you look at it from that perspective, you say, actually, does that actually work? So I'll give you an example from that. Just because my team is playing out from the back and it looks successful, and they're getting, sweat and they're getting success doesn't mean that's what's happening. So now if we look at it in 4K, look at all the pixels within it, and we identify, well, actually, the team is never actually pressing us. But is it really success then? So in the same, in the same way, I say, as an example, if you're coaching, I don't know, dealing with crosses, just because people are kicking the ball in the air doesn't mean it's a cross. Just because it's happening in that part of the area or the pitch doesn't mean it's a cross or it's this or it's that. So in order for it to actually be that, it needs to be what it looks like, like what it would look like if that was in a game. So as an example, in my opinion, this is probably a good one to get your insight on. I don't understand why at under seven, eight, and nine, a goalkeeping coach or anyone working in that area of the game would be working on crosses. Because when I look at those games, I don't see crosses. But I get why someone might refer to it as a cross. But is it really? And if we're saying that that's a cross, then what's an actual cross? And then how do we support the players in their differentiation and understanding of what those different things actually mean and what yeah. they actually are defined in that way, if that makes sense? I think I think that's a great question to unpick, yes, because um, 
you've got to have a fine balance, in my opinion, as a coach. Of, you're coaching the player for now, but you're also coaching the player for a future game that you don't know what it's going to look like. So if you are coaching a seven, eight, and nine-year-old dealing with crosses, what a seven, eight, and nine-year-old faces in comparison to a 16, 17, 18-year-old is completely context different in the way the ball's struck, where it's struck from, the amount of time it's hung in the air, the distance the ball has to travel. There's loads of variations that you consider. But I think what we have to do, in particular with goalkeeping coaches, so for those that are listening in that might be goalkeeping coaches but working at those age ranges, but also on a perspective of coaches just generally that might just be their age group coaches, understanding that you know they are going to have to face that at some point in their journey. Um, they are going to have to know some of the fundamentals around it. And I think it's a coaching skill to recognise when and where that's needed. So if an under seven and an under eight is playing in a you know a league that you know the balls do come into the box as a cross, but the cross might be at waist height. You know it's because the the kids can't kick the ball enough or high enough or, or they haven't got the physical power to be able to do that. Then how do you replicate that in your training sessions in that way? But there's fundamentals that you will always talk about, i.e., position, timing, body shape. Uh, th that won't change. What you would probably do as they get older, they start to think about hand-eye coordination. So as kids between the ages of 7 to 11 or 12, anything above their head height, it becomes very difficult for them to get their hand-eye coordination to be able to deal with timing and understanding of when and where to be able to catch. So if we don't teach them the fundamentals at those age groups, you find that by 13, 14, it's still a challenge. So how do you have that trade-off of, I'm not going to work in dealing with crosses above their head, but it's a skill set if they're going to be a talented goalkeeper or just a talented moving athlete. It doesn't have to be with a perception that they're going to be a goalkeeper because it's a skill set that they might be able to transfer to basketball. It might be a transferable skill to volleyball. Um, and, and, and that's where you've got to have that to go. How do you develop their fundamental skills? And then further along the line, which you know we're going into another topic here about specialisation and, uh, and whatnot. But that's the part where you know you you as a coach have to uh, understand where they are now to help them. But then you've also got to give them an opportunity that the information you might give them today sticks to them. And then five years later, uh, when they are in the situation that point might stick to them and I look back at my own coaching journey you know there's practices or even comments um, that you got my goalie coaches when I was younger would have made at 11s 12s 13s that sticks in my head and I use it as a little nugget that I give to the goalies and you know you carry that on but you know my goalie coach at the time probably had a different rationale for teaching me it then and I've got an example of that something that sticks with you from back then and I'm really keen I'm really keen yeah so like uh, it's, so uh, you know I'll use it as a purpose of, so we talk about now being about front foot proactive um, goalkeepers and, you know, we want them to defend the space in the front. Now, my goalkeeping coach in the back, in the, back in the day, would refer to it as chips and all good for you. So he, you know, he'd always use it in a mindset. So don't be so advanced because you don't want to be chips or chips and all good for you. Whereas now we're going the opposite end of ground, go front foot and, and, and what I'm, you try and, you try and chip it, change it round. So when you're saying, you know, uh, take up a position, but make sure you're not too advanced because you can defend the space behind you as much as it is. So, you know, they take that, you take that language and it sticks. And what I'm trying to say is, I would yeah. word that in a different way to what he worded it, but it stuck to me. You, how would you word that? Cause, uh, go on, I want to hear that and then I'll, I'll tell you why I'm thinking it. Um, how would I word it? 
so I would use it in the same context, but I guess what I would, uh, I would kind of use different language, i.e. be proactive front foot, make sure you defend in the space, but be aware of the space behind you. Um, but, but yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting because you're right. The message is the same in what you're saying, what you're saying. However, I think the reason why it's stuck with you, because there's a clear visual behind it. Mm. Right. So I'll give, I'll give you an example. So, I mean, personally, I, I mean, I don't know about learning styles and whether they're actually real or not, but what I do know is that for me, I like to visualize things. Yeah. I had a conversation with a coach recently. He said to me, um, "I'm I'm supporting." He said, yeah, "Yes, what goes through your mind as you're as you're you know you're you're watching the game or you're observing, or you're planning your session." And I said, "Honestly, it's going to sound crazy, but I just see cartoons. Mm-hmm. I literally just picture cartoons in my head, but the cartoons have a reference point for me to do something with the game. So as an example." You know, if I'm coaching a player to have an open body shape, well, what's the image that comes to mind? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm actually thinking about finding Nemo. Because he's a fish and his eyes are on the side of his head, so he, it's not about what's here, it's about what's there. It's like, well, one eye needs to see where the ball's coming from and the other eye needs to see where I want to take it, as an example. So now I've got that bit, that, that visual's in my head and it's stuck in my head as, as, as finding Nemo. But I'm not thinking about it in the way that that's how I'm trying to communicate it to someone else. That's just how I understand it. Yeah. So now, as soon as you said, right, chips are no good, I'm thinking, yeah, chips are no good, surely, because I'm just, I don't want to be fat. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's just stuck with me. And I've like, and the same way that's stuck with me, I know that some of the message that I'm giving to players in the way that I describe them, I'm sticking with them because there's a clear visual attached to it. But, like you said, you know, you, you maybe speak about it in a different way another point I made even to coach just today was that bottom line is this as long as you do it in a safe way it doesn't actually matter how you communicate it as long as the message yeah. sticks yeah. right and if the message sticks that's all that matters because that's the only way they're going to actually be able to develop the understanding and, 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 and layer it into what they're doing so I guess from that perspective if a coach is now thinking about supporting a goalkeeper and especially with the, with it, if they haven't got the actual goalkeeping coach available to support them because they either don't have one in the environment or whatever, what are some of the key messages like that, you know, that they can start to think about that actually give them some context and reference for the goalkeeper to, you know, like chips and no good. Yeah. Don't be too high off your line. Yeah, and and listen, it's again, it's a really good question because I think I think that varies based on individuals, um, and that might just be my my experience and, and, and understanding that. And I think if you get to know the individual, you know, you you build a bit more. So you know, if you find out that your goalkeeper is interested in finding Nemo at the age of nine, ten, eleven, whatever it is, you use that because it visualizes and creates an image for the goalkeeper in their head. Um, have I got any real experiences to be able to say that I can kind of explain the story and explain that I, I, I probably, I probably be, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to do that. Um, but the nuggets that I would say is um, just, just, just try and simplify it and make it relevant to them. So I always find, in particular, their age and relevance that, you know, if they're interested in something, you can turn your goalkeeping into them, uh, into that kind of. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for the the context within it so you know if there is a a, a, a cartoon that's going on at the moment and, and they're all into it or a game a game that they're playing just change your constraints to your rules to apply to that and you know um, 
you know, when you make it then competitive and it's relevant and it's something away from football that's also interesting to them and you've brought two of their best interests together, all of a sudden you get even more enthusiasm, energy, uh, application, interest and, and, and you get, you, you'll see greater rewards. So uh, I can't sit here and say that there's these nuggets um, and I probably, if we were to have conversation more, will come to my mind to be able to drop it in. But I just think it's it's understanding that, and my mind always jumps in my own mind, and, and you know my own experience as a goalkeeper, because as soon as he'd say chips are no good for you, it would make you think the space behind you. But then I look at some of the practices that we did back then, you know they were exposing me to try and think about the way that I did that, and your starting positions and principles around the way in which you take up starting positions to be able to defend the space, the area around the goal. Um, and now we probably do it in a different way, but try and be creative in you know our constraints of the way that you get points rules uh, the way you win games um, but yeah coming back to it to the, to the to the coaches I think it's know the player um, know what might motivate them and I think naturally you'll develop a way of uh, being able to to find a way that creates the coach player relationship definitely so I mean it is just, again there's so much in what you've just said there and it's just got my mind mm-hmm. um, I'm sitting there thinking of Cartier Network like there's so many <laughs> because I'm on a marathon right now but I'm looking I'm looking I'm looking into what you just said there and I'm saying right okay something that's really key and that you mentioned and you've mentioned it throughout is when I was goalkeeping and what it looks like now when I was goalkeeping what it looks like now which you know really tries to paint the picture there's a lot of it's been massive changes but one of the key things I want to pick up on what would a typical goalkeeping session look like back then? What does that look like for you now? Yeah. I want. I really want to examine you around delivery from the goalkeeping coach and servicing. Yeah, so I'm glad you brought that up. So I look back at my own experiences um, as, a, as a younger player coming through an academy system. It was very coach-led. It was very... Uh, coach driven so coach did most of the service at times uh, it was very high repetition um, and, and kind of more breaks as such in, in kind of structured practice uh, and practice that we would now refer to in our coaching practice as announced so you knew everything that was going to happen it was a sequence that you followed and the sequence probably looked like the game uh, but you know from what we know now around skill acquisition, the way people learn, the way that people learn in a variety of ways, um, you look back then and go, you know, that method of teaching was good for what we knew then because we had some very talented players that have come through our era and currently playing now that have embraced those environments. But when you look at what and how learning takes place now, so when you look at our new generation of players, students, learners, um, and then you look at the way in which information is available in so many different ways. Goalkeeping coaching now probably looks more uh, what people would refer to as game related. But for me, the decision making is completely taken uh, out of the coach's hands and put into the practice. So the player now makes the decisions. Whereas I look back at those times and go, as long as you completed the sequence with what we would perceive as good technique and good skill, you were successful. Whereas now it's, I'm putting you in a scenario, but the way you would deal with it and the way I would deal with it would be different. But as long as we find an effective way in finding a solution to the problem, um, then, then, then we learn and we progress. 
and then for me that's where it comes into the art and skill of the coach to have adaptability in the way that you coach uh, give creativity in me and you finding different ways and finding those solutions to the problems but then if you're finding a solution but I'm not how do I find my own solution to it with the coach's guidance but how does the coach make it even harder for you because you're already finding that solution so I need to the coach needs to make it even harder whereas I look back then you know the decision making weren't harder it's just the service got quicker the service got harder and if you were good at that then you were progressing even further whereas we look at the high demands of decision making in the game now for goalkeepers uh, is, is is phenomenal um, you know goalkeepers in games are making 70 to 80 actions which are probably involving two to three decisions per action that they're having to make uh, and, and for me you know that's 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 a that's a big number of decisions over a 90 minute period so, that, so what, what does that look like for you so you talked about it being game related yeah right. um, talked there about obviously back then it being heavily coach led and obviously that you know you're, try, you're trying to move away from that a little bit now because of the amount of decision making that's taking place you want to give them the opportunity to practice those decisions and those those opportunities to make those decisions what does it look like from, from a service standpoint because historically Worked in environments. I've been there myself, and I've and, I, and I've moved far away from it now. Where you see goalkeeping coaches drop volley, drop half volley, you know, different types of services in that in that fashion. Is that something that still exists in your practice? Yeah, I'm not going to sit here and say it doesn't because I think I think I think you have to be adaptable. That some players need that at certain points, um, and but I think it's it's it, again it's it's. It's a part of a skillful coach to recognise when is that necessary for the individual, and then actually when do you have to really take the player out of their comfort zone, knowing that that's probably what they want, but you ain't going to give it to them because you know this is what's going to stretch their learning and capability to go beyond. Um, so, you know, would I want to make live service on a match warm up? Uh, you know, I would like to introduce some because that's what they're about to go into, uh, but. If I'm not preparing the goalkeeper in the right manner that's going to give them the right preparation to go into the game, then I'm not doing the goalkeeper justice. Uh, but if we're on a training day and we're three days from a game, we're on both sides a match day plus and minus three, then for me, it's you know we've got the opportunity to get in some high returns in training practice where we can really high hone on some scenarios, some situations, some. Uh, context of the game where we can get some high technical tactical returns along with some physical outcomes um, along with maybe some psychological stresses and all of a sudden you've got so many returns from clever thoughtful practice design that involves numbers that involves decisions that involves moving players that involves making the game as random as possible within your context of your scenarios that you're trying to recreate um, and then trying to show the player the application of that in game context so you know you might be looking at shot stopping off angles but if I just go right I'm going to pass the ball I'm going to finish from here yeah brilliant the goalkeeper moves into the line makes the save but if I'm creative in the way that I get my dimensions right my practice design right my way that which the practice starts but then all of a sudden because I've got overloads in certain situations um, and I use my equipment and apparatus maybe to a creative use the shots will always come from an angle, but it might not always be from the same place. The ball might not always be stationary. The ball might not always be on the floor. The ball might not be always with the same speed. All of a sudden, these contexts give the goalkeeper so much more to be able to take away. 
um, and learn and, and, and apply and make decisions on. Um, and for me, that's that's where enhanced skill learning comes in. Because uh, if I said to you, get here, make a say, yeah, you become really good at the skill because you do it over and over again. And you know what's coming next. For me, if you can do it in that way, you teach them how to apply it, learn it, and really take, like you say, the broad knowledge, what you can see, where that's where the ball's coming from, that's where it needs to go. Um, and and that's that, that, for me, is learning. Teach. To just build on that, then, um, you know, we, we, we look at, you know, youth development pathways, we look at athletic development and whatnot. We, we often hear this phrase around age and stage and looking at where they're at in their journey something that we've probably referred to a couple of times in this conversation. What are some of the key considerations you want maybe coaches to start to think about, maybe age and stage of goalkeepers and where they are in the journey around? Just basic things to be mindful of around a goalkeeper. Like I said, one of the real, you know, real things that was excited me about getting you on, having this discussion was, hopefully we can get some first-hand experiences from a goalkeeping coach on what we consider as key things to support a goalkeeper away from just having the technical information that maybe aren't considered because coaches view goalkeepers as a different species mm. do you know what I mean it's almost like well I ain't, I ain't got a clue about goalkeepers so you stay over there or you, you can just be a body in my session and just get peppered with shots all day but I'm not going to give you any support I'm just going to say come on goalkeeper you can do better than that yeah, it's uh, again. It's probably stemming to our last question. That I know it's a really difficult question to ask because it's like, well, there's so much that could be considered and can't, be, and, and probably should be considered. But it's like it's coming back to that that point you made earlier. Sometimes when you're working with the goalkeepers, I think when you stop working with them, or you or you, or you then you you look at other environments where maybe there's not a goalkeeper coach who's considering certain things, or even the coach is considering certain things. Some of those things you might be taking for granted as a goalkeeping coach who's working regularly with them, if that makes sense. Yeah, probably so. Um, and, and, and this is this is why it's a great conversation. And, and again, for those listening in, um, it's probably one to find out more about their contexts and their challenges. But like, it, there's for me, I think if you have a framework, and I look at the FA's framework of, you know, defending the area, the space, the goal or when you break it down from an in-possession element, I think is a really good concept to be able to do it. That when you ask yourself as a coach to go, right, what is it that they're facing? Are they having to defend the space in front of them? And then you go, position, where's their position in relation to the ball? Have they got their stance right? You choose their movement decision. Are they going to go towards the ball or drop off? And then choose the right action. So if it's running towards the ball, I've got to clear it. I've got to catch it. I've got to smother the ball. If it isn't, I'm dropping off to the goal. I've got to defend it. So I think... That's probably me as a goalie coach putting a real lens and trying to simplify the process that I would as a goalie coach break it down. Um, as a coach, what I would say is if you use that same process in everything, so where are they in relation to the ball? Um, what does their body shape look like? And then more importantly, do they have to move again to give themselves a better chance? And then their choice of their goalkeeping action. So if you use that four-stage process and logically work in that order, I think you cover 95% of all situations that you can do. Because if their position ain't, ain't right, don't matter what their stance is, don't matter what the movement patterns are or what choice of action they choose, the likelihood of chances, the striker will still have a superiority because they're always in the wrong place at the wrong time, so they see more of the goal. If they get their position right, but their body shape's wrong, 
it means that they're going to see less of the pitch so that can give the opportunity of right you know if it's a cross can they see what they can or if it's on a defending the space because the ball's been played at defenders but if they're flat-footed they've got to take a step now that loses time so that then impacts their movements and they can't run quick enough so by the time they get to the ball the strikers or the quick wing has already got there and they're in on goal um, and then the last part would be more around like their choice of action so that's where it can get really techy as what some might refer to it as you know the old goalkeeping book of well, were they set were their feet balanced were their hands in the right place were they together and they went for a W were their thumbs touching but no the distance was in between so the ball slipped through their hands I think that level of detail would probably become uh, too advanced because for me if you've got the first three stages the last stages is just about taking care and being being you know like we said earlier get your hands and your body behind the ball you secure most of most of the shots and most of the chances that are going to create goal scoring opportunities for you um, so yeah I would I would simplify it in that process position stance movement and then leave the action down to down to the action and understanding of the goalkeeper uh, because if you get the first three right the fourth should should naturally happen anyway definitely and I think one of the key kind of things that really came up in it being right back full circle to the top of the conversation when we talked about or when I mentioned about the specifics around the biomechanics the elements elements of what you know what goalkeeping is yeah. so many you know those those granular bits of technical detail which make a massive difference right and it's just really paying attention to that and it, that is something that can be applied with goalkeeping as well as working without the players because it is those marginal those marginal gains marginal adjustments minor adjustments to make massive gain and you know what you've said there kind of sums it up in, 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 in very 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 simply and for me I often use you know when, I'm, when I've worked with goalkeepers in the past in terms of the position aspect is right, I'm not going to give you any absolutes I'm not going to give you any definitives but what I am going to give you is a, is, is, a, is a scenario and the scenario is this I want you to be in a position where you can affect the near post the front post and the space in front the near post the far post and the space in front now that might look different for you based on how your physical makeup is. Mm-hmm. You might be a quicker goalkeeper who reckons actually I can I can afford I can afford to be a bit higher and actually maybe the chips aren't so bad for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um as opposed to actually just chips are no good for me. So yeah, and it's just looking at that and just giving them clear reference. But just as a basic thing, you know, just in terms of their positioning and where they can kind of operate in and around the goal. Whereas especially at grassroots level where maybe they don't really necessarily have all the access to that side of things. And even those that do have a goalkeeping coach, you typically notice that in grassroots football, they maybe don't do so much stuff around the tactical stuff, but it's much more around the technical stuff. So it's not really so much on the positioning, but it's more on the handling, the you know, the distribution and elements of that. So you often see goalkeepers that when the ball is not in, in and around the edge of the box, they're not even paying attention, or they're switching off, or they're just standing on the line, and you know they don't even—they're not even watching the game. Yeah. Um, you know, just little things like that to kind of keep them engaged. Or obviously, you know, even things like transitioning with the ball when the ball goes further up the pitch. Where are you in relation to that? Drops deeper. Where are you in relation to that? And just kind of always keeping them engaged because it, it does happen a lot at grassroots football in particular, where they kind of just switch off. Even happens in academy football, to be honest. But no, of course, it's 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 part and parcel of uh, development football. I think whichever stage and level that you're at. But you just, I think you've hit the nail on the head by asking a really good question of, you know, where are you in relation to the ball is a key question. I think coaches can simply just keep asking their players, and you get so much more reward out of such a simple question. And 
coaches can find creative ways in re-asking that question in different ways because for me if you can be in the right position you give yourself the best chance of making all of the other processes um someone once said to me where you know van der Sar would always come off the pitch with a clean shirt and a clean kit and, and one of the reasons why was because he was so clever and intelligent he knew what was going to happen based on his experience before him and what an impact he had at his years at Man United to come in because people had eyebrows to go, Van der Sar at Man United, like he's at the back end of his career, what value is he going to add? But I think when you look at it, the clever, the intelligent goalkeepers at the elite end, but also at the grassroots, it can be at any, you get your position right, you give yourself such the best opportunity. And as a coach, you might not be able to coach the technical detail of how and what you do, the scoop, the W, the low hand saves, whatever. But if you get a goalkeeper improving their position, impacts so much on performance of being able to sweep getting in the right positions to be able to distribute and everything else just opens up from there it's the same as that you know that age old saying from um, I, think the, I think it was Carlo Maldini who said look if I've ever had to make a tackle it's because I haven't defended appropriately enough yeah yeah exactly you never have to make a tackle all I've got to do is intercept um, and that's just by reading the game like you said if you can teach the players how to read the game but this comes back to something I often kind of uh, harp on about is let's you know let's, let's not let's not prioritise the technical piece let's prioritise the understanding of the game Let's teach them how to play the game. And that goes back to the principles of play. So sometimes when I, say, when I tell people that, you know, all I coach is the principles, I don't coach anything else. I just coach the principles of play. The principles of play will have come up in whatever way it needs to come up. But if I coach through those principles, with other things in between it, whether it's crossing, whether it's finishing, whether it's dealing with crosses, whether it's attacking in wide areas, whether it's combination play, all that stuff happens anyway. These are things that the game consists of. Yeah. I don't have to make them up, I don't have to focus on them because they're going to happen anyway. So let them happen naturally based on actually we're trying to penetrate the opposition and we're trying to stop them from out of position, if that makes sense. Um, but again, it's a conversation for another day. But you know, there's, there's so much in, in what you've said already that I think, again, that marathon is caught in there, we're still playing in my head. <laughs> but, don't let it play too late, mate. It's uh, getting later in the evening. You don't, you, you don't want to have a marathon of uh, marathon of cutting network at this time of night. But well, I might do because they've, they've stopped they've stopped airing now, so bring <laughs> uh, back some memories. But no, but I think there's so much in what you said there. Um, and I don't even think we've talked, we 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 really scratched the surface of some of it, if I'm being honest. But conscious of times, so, like you know, in a round, in, a, in a way to round up, really, what would you say are some of the key things you want to? coaches to consider walking away from listening to this yeah it's a, it's, a, it's a great question I think um we started the conversation really about how to integrate goalkeepers and I think I think for me that's one of the key messages that I'd like people to uh to consider so just just ask yourself the questions of do I give my goalkeeper enough thought um in my planning uh my delivery or actually when I'm reflecting to go how do I improve what I'm doing can I impact my goalkeeper even more because I think if you if you have that thought process within everything that you do, then the goalkeepers will always try and be at the forefront of some of your planning, which would then impact their development and their, their progression. Um, for me, there isn't one way of teaching. There is not a linear way of one size fits all. Um, so as long as you do it with the right principles in mind of people having fun, people being, like you said, when we spoke about, you know, open and honest feedback about uh, how and where they're at and how they can get better and improve but then more importantly I think I think the the biggest thing is to understand that everybody's different um, and if we can have that broad understanding that you know there will be in it for different reasons how do you find that motivation piece to make sure that when they're 
come with you at a certain point at six o'clock when they're leaving with you at seven they've left a better person better goalkeeper uh, and then in return you know they want to come back the following session to to keep progressing become the next year mass pardon or become the next year mass <laughs> or something like that do mate. you know what i am conscious sam but a really key question has just popped up for me while you're talking there go on then mate what would your advice be to coaches how to best integrate the goalkeeping coach? Because oh. been in different environments. I've been there myself in different environments as a goalkeeping coach and as an outfield coach. But A, have you ever actually been approached and actually appropriately or effectively integrated into a team or into a delivery of goalkeeping um, that doesn't feel forced? Yeah. And would you advise around how that conversation should or could take place? Again, I think you've asked you've asked such a brilliant question, um, and it'll be a great question to finish on for any goalkeeping coaches out there, or coaches out there looking to integrate. I think I think the first thing would be ask their opinion, because if you are the open-minded person, I think you break the first barrier down. Uh, most goalkeeping coaches are probably too fearful within them to go, I'm a goalkeeping coach, I can't step beyond that line. I don't want the coach or the manager to feel like I'm trying to do their job. Um, but I think if the coach or the manager opens the door for them to ask their opinion, uh, I think that's the first big barrier broken down. Um, so I think if anyone listening out there works with a goalkeeping coach, but probably can ask themselves on reflection, thinking now, do I utilise them enough? Or do I even ask their opinion? Um, that would be the first thing that I'd do. And then the second thing would be to empower them. Uh, I think the, the coaches that I've enjoyed working with most or have uh, learned the most from have always empowered me. So they've given me responsibilities beyond um, my goalkeeping coach remit. And that's come from probably me showing the willingness to want to go further. Uh, but what does that look like in practice though? What does that look like? You, know, you, you talk about your goalkeeping coach remit. What's going beyond that? What does that actually look like? So it can be, it can, listen, it can be anything. It can be from the sake of, you know, the goalkeeping coach to set out some bibs and cones. You know, you're not just the goalie coach to worry about your own thing. This is what I'm planning as a session. Do you mind just helping me set up? And that instigates into conversations to go, well, what are you doing in your session? How does the goalkeeping goalkeeper get integrated into what I'm about to do? And all of a sudden you're having more healthier conversation that's benefiting the coaches, the players, the goalkeeper. And that combination um, yeah. but for me again it's, it's just having that open relationship to, to, to kind of the coaches to be open-minded the goalie coach to be confident but for me I think it's that empowerment of you know you're here for a reason what's your opinion give your opinion but more importantly be an extra voice in the room and I think if you can create that environment as a coach if you've got the luxury of having somebody that can come in and especially work with goalies that are going to add input to you and empower them because you, you'll be surprised that I think in football um, in the environments that we are that if you haven't got people but you might only have that one person that one person could be an extra asset if you let them come in to help you and you know that's where I found my value you know when you go in and, and coaches have been open to go what's your opinion on the goalkeepers then that becomes what's your opinion on a defender a midfield player and then all of a sudden you have a voice and an opinion but then you start to help them with certain other elements and that critical conversation we were having earlier around you get better, you challenge them, they challenge you, and you get better as a team. Just on that then, again, I, again, I'm 
really question topic. Okay, the question has really pulled out from there. Is, <laughs> you've talked there, so you've talked about ask the goalkeeper coach, empower the goalkeeper coach to mm-hmm. integrate the goalkeeper coach. How about goalkeeping coach's perspective? How do I begin that process of trying to integrate myself? Yeah. And again, uh, you know, that's another way of looking at it. So I look at some of the managers that have um, something as small as if they are working alone with a goalie coach, go watch, observe, ask questions, get to know your goalkeepers. So some of the managers that I look at, um, ones that I've either worked with or ones that I've been at clubs that I've seen that, you know, even if it is for that five minute period where you're going to watch the isolated work that they're doing, you take an interest. Um, you have an opinion, you ask their opinion. Um, and I think that open conversation and dialogue just brings everybody to a clear level playing field and understanding that there is a barrier set up that you can't a- approach or you can't ask or you can't step over that person. Um, and I think that's where you, you help each other. Yo, again, again, I've got more questions brewing, but I'm conscious of time. So just on that, you know, I want to say a massive thank you for obviously being with me today and really having really unpacking a lot of what you have done because I think there's so many nuggets in there. Um, if people wanted to get in touch with you, is there any way they potentially could do that? Yeah, more than welcome. Um, so like I say, I'm not big on social media, but I am on social media. So um, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram. So anyone that wants to follow up on, on this, more than welcome to send a message and, and would be more than happy to kind of follow up the conversations. Uh, but like I say, if anyone does um, and want to get in touch by yourself, yes as well, then that's no problem to, if you're happy with them, getting in touch with yourself uh, to, to share contact details, to follow up conversations too. So. Amazing. Yo, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I hope you have a great evening. And don't get chips, man. <laughs> chips are no good for you, mate. Chips, chips are no good, good for you. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, 
for the ones who get it done.